You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled The Chargeback Field Report, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and WorldPay. Good morning. My name is DJ Murphy. I am the editor-in-chief of Card Not Present. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today for this presentation. Uh, I am really excited uh, about this particular topic. I've been reporting on the CNP, uh, excuse me, the CNP space for almost a decade now, and I'm sure this won't be surprising to you at all. But since the very start and uh, continuously, chargebacks have overwhelmingly been the top concern for our merchant readers, whether they're caused by criminal fraud or friendly fraud or merchant error or whatever. Identifying and preventing and managing chargebacks presents a significant challenge for retailers. Um, one of the things that, that merchants ask me about all the time when I'm talking to them is uh, if I can point them to good industry-wide data on chargebacks that might guide them as they try to navigate this process. So I'm really excited for our presentation today. Um, chargeback management company Chargebacks 911 has conducted a study looking at the issue and it's yielded some really interesting information. Um, our presenters are going to take us through the results of the research. I'm really excited to hear them. We have with us today Jared Wright, who is the marketing director of Chargebacks 911. And we have Sean Bowen, who is a project manager for WorldPay. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to these fine gentlemen in just a second. But I wanted to remind you of a few things about today's webinar first. Uh, number one, please ask questions. We'll be taking questions. Uh, and uh, we hope to get to uh, them at the end for Q&A. Uh, if we don't have time to get to the questions, someone from uh, Chargeback 911 and or WorldPay will get back to you and answer your questions. So please do ask them. Uh, the questions tab is on the webinar dashboard on the right. You can go to that and ask any question you'd like. Uh, number two, we're going to have a few poll questions throughout the uh, course of the presentation. Jared will tell you a little bit more about that. Just be ready for those. I would love to hear what you think on, uh, on, on a couple of things uh, directly from the people who are at the webinar. And finally, we are recording the session today. So if you do happen to miss any, uh, or if you come in late or whatever, the, uh, the entire presentation will be available to you as a recording, and we will send that information out to people when it is ready. Uh, it'll be on uh, posted on Carnot Present. So, at this point, I am going to turn it over to Jared. Jared, thank you so much for joining us today, and take it away. Great. Th thank you so much. That was a great intro, um, DJ. Um, so, as DJ said, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the Marketing Director for Chargebacks 911. Um, I've been heading up. I've been doing most of the webinars that we've done recently. Um, and, and just for anyone who isn't familiar with us, um, Chargebacks 911, um, we help merchants identify the source of chargebacks. And if I'm going to put it in the simplest of terms, um, we enable them to prevent the chargebacks that they can. And then for the ones that they can't prevent, um, we dispute those chargebacks on their behalf. Um, we were the original and still really the only company solely focused on comprehensive chargeback remediation. And um, I'm going to throw it now to Sean, who I'm super excited to have uh, join us today. Uh, I'm real interested in, in having um, WorldPay's perspective on this topic as well. Sean? Uh, yes, thank you, Jared. So, uh, yeah, my name is Sean Bowen. I'm the uh, product manager at WorldPay looking after our chargeback products. And 
And recently we've been doing some really good work with, with chargebacks 911. We've worked really closely with them. Uh, and then what we're looking to do is, is launch some industry-leading chargeback solutions. So yeah, it's really exciting to be a, a part of this webinar with, with Jared. Yeah, uh, and uh, something else I want to point out, um, if, if anyone is at all inclined, um, our emails are up on the screen if you want to take those down, if you have any questions or, or if anything during the webinar um, you'd like to have a discussion about, you can reach out to me um, or reach out to Sean. If either of us don't know the answer, I'm sure that we'd be willing to introduce you to somebody that would. Okay. So before I get started, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what this report is and what it isn't. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the challenge of obtaining reliable data in the area of chargebacks. Um, you know, at Chargebacks 911, we have a wealth of chargeback data across a wide array of merchants. Um, we use this data to identify trends and diagnose issues for our clients. And in the past, we've even compiled it into public uh, reports uh, based on some of that data. But our view into the larger chargeback issue today, even, even as, as much access as we have, is still somewhat limited. And the best way for me to explain it is to use an Indian fable that I'm sure a lot of you have heard, but it's about blind men and an elephant. Um, and uh, basically, it imagines that blind men feeling different parts of an elephant would describe the elephant differently. Um, and, and similarly, issuers, acquirers, card schemes, uh, fraud prevention tools, and chargeback management companies all have unique perspectives and somewhat unique data uh, through which to evaluate and understand the chargeback problem. So, you know, when these different players describe chargebacks um, and they rely exclusively on individual experiences, it can generate conflicting and seemingly unreliable data. Um, a fraud prevention company may, for example, tout that credit card fraud is on the rise, um, and we you know, may, for example, understand that friendly fraud to be a greater threat. Um, the, the card schemes you know, probably have the, the most aggregate data, um, but they have very little access to the underlying variables that make that data valuable and meaningful for the average merchant. Um, and then, you know, the third player there, the, the merchant, unfortunately, has no data other than their individual experience in most cases. And um, really, that's kind of what we're trying to rectify with this, um, with this report is, it, uh, you know, create a conduit for uh, merchants to be able to communicate and compare um, their experiences. Um, so <clears throat> when we were in the beginning stages of the report, we wanted to be sure to create something that was unbiased as possible. Um, we knew that we wanted to base the report on a merchant survey, but we also decided that we did not want our customers to be disproportionately represented. Uh, we wanted a sample set to be as random and representative of the average merchant as possible. Um, this approach had a few advantages, but also had some disadvantages as well. So before I get started, I think it's important that I address some of those up front. Um, the first thing that we want people to keep in mind is that this report, since it was based on a survey, necessarily relies on self-reported data. Um, this type of data can be less reliable for a couple of reasons. Um, first, the survey participant may not have all of this specific information um, ready at hand when they take the survey. Um, but more importantly, or, or more sort of um, um, relevant is that we also find that most merchants underestimate the severity of their chargeback situation. In fact, when we're prepping the initial onboarding analysis for a new customer, we often request um, or insist that they provide us uh, raw chargeback data um, because we find that in almost every case, merchants are ex uh, receiving more chargebacks and winning fewer disputes than they think that they are. 
Um, this is mostly because very few merchants are tracking net win rates. And I'll actually talk about that a little bit in uh, greater detail there, but, but self-reported data ha is, you know, is, isn't perfect data. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, <clears throat> the next thing I want to point out is that with this survey, um, we're going to be invariably working with a smaller data set. Um, we kind of made things harder on ourselves by not asking our customers to, to participate directly. In fact, less than 10% of the participants in this survey are current or past customers. Um, so rather than asking our customers, which would probably be uh, much more inclined to participate, we've reached out to CMP and leveraged other um, marketing channels to, to, to introduce ourselves to, to new merchants. Um, this allowed, in our opinion, to build a less biased report, but one that utilized the smaller sample set of participants. Um, this report is based on around 200 participants rather than a much larger sample that would have included our customers. Um, and then the, um, Despite our efforts, the last thing I want to acknowledge is that some bias will still exist in this report. Namely, participants will be more forward-leaning and more proactive towards chargebacks than they otherwise might be. Um, with all that said, I still think that this report is one of the best windows into the current state of chargebacks. Um, and in order to give everyone as much information as possible, I'm going to spend a little bit of time up front talking about some of the demographics of the sample that we used. Um, and this is also part of the reason why I'm glad to have someone from WorldPay here to join us. Um, we've been working with WorldPay on some exciting things that I think Sean talked about a little bit uh, earlier. And um, so they seem like a perfect choice to provide their different perspective on the chargeback elephant. So um, thank you again, Sean, for joining us today. I really, I'm really looking forward to getting into this information with you. Okay, so I thought, I thought, um, you know, before we even get started, I thought uh, just to get a sense of uh, how well the webinar audience lines up with the sample um, used in this report. So um, I thought maybe we would do a couple of um, a demographic poll questions just to get an understanding of who's uh, who's going to be on the webinar today. Um, DJ, uh, you have some poll questions queued up. Can you run through the first three just to see um, see who's on the webinar? I do. I have just put up the uh, first one, which is just a, a straight how many uh, employees work at your company. It looks like uh, half uh, work at larger companies. I'll just leave this open for just a little more time. And all right, there's uh, there's what we have for that quickly. And we'll go on to the next question. Huh. That is, what is the average number of chargebacks your company receives in a month? So we'll take a, a, a second to do that. As, as we, uh, uh, as you answer this question, I wanted, did want to remind you just quickly again, you can ask specific questions of the presenters. Uh, we are going to try to get to them uh, at the end. If we don't have time, uh, either Jared or Sean will get back to you uh, with an answer, as, as Sean mentioned. So, all right, we're going to close this one and share the results of that. So 40% have uh, more than 500 chargebacks a month, the, uh, the highest answer. Yeah, and that's con considering that we have a, a lot of larger companies, I think that that, that would make sense. Yeah, and uh, the last question in this is, uh, do you regularly dispute at least some of your chargebacks? Just a yes or no question. And it looks like the overwhelming answer to this one will be yes, 
Can I just uh, give you a couple more seconds here? All right, I'll close that one out and put that up. Yeah, 92% of the people on this call are disputing chargebacks. Yeah, so so that's interesting. That's actually one of the one of the key questions. So we're going to talk about that a little bit here, um, and and this will kind of bring us, you know, to some of the bias that uh, exists in this report. But luckily, the bias that exists in this report is probably going to line up pretty well with the bias that um, in this audience. Um, so so for for our sample report, we had um, a, a pretty diverse result. We didn't have as many large companies as um, are attending this webinar, but we did have we did have a non uh, insignificant uh, portion of the respondents to be from uh, larger companies. Um, I think the largest group was kind of that under 20 employees size, um, but um, but it, you know it, it wasn't an overwhelming majority. Um, and interestingly, when we compared and we looked at these metrics, um, uh, you know, large companies are dealing, they seem like they were dealing with chargebacks in, at a much higher scale, but the underlying issue seemed to be very similar for all merchants, regardless of the size of the company. So, so th there wasn't a lot of difference, um, the company size on, on most of these top line issues. Um, okay, and then we also ask, and this wasn't uh, one of the ones um, that, that we asked, but we did ask uh, in which product categories uh, the companies receive chargebacks. And there's a lot of diversification here too. Um, and, uh, you know, it, we think that the sample is significantly uh, d diversified. Um, interestingly, around half of the participants said that they're dealing with chargebacks in one or more of these categories, which I think is common for many online businesses. I don't know how these numbers would be across the internet, but uh, more and more companies are experimenting with different revenue models online. So I expect that we'll see further diversification in the future. Um, we also asked merchant the average ticket value um, that is charged back, and these stats too were pretty much what you'd expect. Um, but most chargebacks falling in that you know twenty to uh, five hundred dollar range, um, you know more than five hundred dollars chargeback. I mean those tend to be um, you know pretty major instances, um, and and so there's usually some some extra extra effort and issues that that arise with with very large um, chargebacks. And another thing I think it was important to always address um, is how different risk factors shape the chargeback issues for different merchants. Um, traditionally, high-risk businesses have the potential to skew a study like this. So uh, we want to make sure to get a sense of the types of risk profiles participants had. Since uh, merchants with higher chargeback risks were more likely to participate in a study like this, we, we presumed, um, we wanted to be sure that they were not overrepresented in the data. So. Um, and, and while not surprisingly, almost half of the merchants reported one or more risk factor, uh, only one third were in traditionally high risk industries. Um, and then further that only 13% of the participants were using free trial sales model, which is probably the highest risk um, category. So, um, you know, we think their representation is um, fairly equitable um, and, and, and fairly represented in this report. Um, okay, so now we're almost to the meat of the report. And the next couple slides are interesting, um, but I've included them here with the other demographic information because I don't think we have a large enough sample to view them as being overly meaningful at this point. Um, this slide, for example, breaks down the chargeback rate for participants. And uh, perhaps not surprisingly, most participants seem to be somewhere south of that 0.1% chargeback rate, um, with the uh, second largest bucket being in that 0.1 to 1% range. And finally, only 14% of the participants are in that danger zone of more than 1% chargeback rate. 
Um, Sean, you and I were talking and you were saying that these numbers were a little surprising to you. Um, can you just uh, give us an insight onto what WorldPay would want to see from these numbers and, and how well they reflect or don't reflect the averages you would expect? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the one that really screams out to me is the 14% the in, the, in the bucket of more than 1%. Uh, I think if we were to look at the the whole of the world pay buck, that 14% would be a lot, lot less um, um, than having more than 1% chargeback rates. Um, 38 and 35% for less than 0.1 and 0.1 to minus 1%. Even though they're still the highest numbers on that graph, that's where we would expect even more volume to be within that, within those two different buckets. So the more than 1%, like you said, it is kind of the danger zone. So to, to see 14% there is, is quite excessive. Uh, and 13% in, in don't know is also is also quite surprising. Obviously, we'd like merchants to, to keep on top of their to keep on top of their chargeback rates. Yeah, it's actually funny you bring up that 13% because you you and I were talking um, earlier, and and I'm pretty sure you know we we could take that 13% and apply it sort of sprinkle it in those first two buckets because um, you know it, it's we we think it's highly unlikely that somebody that was uh, approaching or breaching a threshold of any type would would not be aware of that. So that 13% uh, not knowing I'm going to assume is because uh, because the the chargeback rate is not an issue in their business. So. Um, and, and yeah, that 14%, I mean, that, that is probably uh, high for, for WorldPay. I think, um, I think, you know, your, your merchant profile is probably a little more conservative than, um, you know, some, some of the, some of the people that are um, the most interested and most concerned about chargebacks. Um, okay. And then this next slide is, this is actually, this is actually going to be really funny because so many, so many of the attendees today uh, said that they disputed chargebacks. And uh, similarly, I've, I've identified this slide as probably the best example of bias in this study. Um, it's the only stat that in fact that I'm confident doesn't have much implication beyond this report. Um, because while more and more merchants are actively disputing chargebacks, that's something that we see across the board. Um, I don't think the universal stat is anywhere near this 71%. Um, really what we're measuring here is if you're willing to participate in a survey about chargebacks, there's a 71% chance um, that you're also disputing at least some of them. And um, similarly, if you're willing to sit through a 45 minute presentation on chargebacks, you, there's a 91% there's a chance that you're disputing um, at least some of your chargebacks. Um, we considered not including this stat because we didn't believe it accurately represented the, the current state of chargebacks. We didn't want to have something out there that was misleading, um, but we left it in because um, it's interesting and because it informs a lot of the rest of this data. I think I think in order to really get a picture of the elephant, you really have to understand things like this. Um, and because um, again, you know, this this is only uh, this study is only part of the elephant. Um, and it's important that merchants uh, be given all of the information to help them decide which which part of the elephant. Um, so I guess you know if you're a merchant, you've never disputed a chargeback, or you know you um, you receive you know one or two chargebacks a year. These stats may not align as perfectly with your experience. Um, and Sean, you actually you actually went and did a little bit of research, and you said that this number also seems higher than what you would expect. Is that true? It is, yeah, definitely. I think looking at this, if we were to swap those numbers around and had 71% on don't dispute chargebacks and 29% of merchants disputing chargebacks, that's probably a little bit more um, realistic for what we would see at, at WorldPay. Um, but like you said, it depends on the person, the people that you've been asking and you know the part of the elephant that we're looking from, we're going to be seeing those lower numbers. 
Yeah, it, it, it totally does make sense. Um, all right, so everyone, everyone on this webinar, for the most part, you guys are on the you guys are on the cutting edge of chargeback management. Um, okay, so th so that was all. That was sort of housekeeping. I you know those were just I just wanted to give everybody a sense of where we are. Um, you know the the type of people that participated so that they could understand the rest of this report. Um, but now we're going to talk about the stats that we do believe have some implication and utility in the larger conversation about chargebacks. So um, now we're going to get into the meat. And um, this first stat that I wanted to talk about is one that <clears throat> isn't isn't too surprising to me, but um, is somewhat disheartening. I have to admit, um, as someone who's kind of rooting for cryptocurrency and has long been an advocate, it's a little sad to admit that even with the forward-leaning merchants that we polled, uh, crypto is still not seeing much adoption, not getting a lot of love, um, whereas the wallet solutions are much more common. Um, Sean, uh, did this surprise you? I, I, don't, I don't even know. Has WorldPay largely stayed away from crypto? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly no crypto crypto expert, but I have been speaking to the people within WorldPay who do work closely with cryptocurrency, and they're saying that the volumes are low, and a lot of it can be attributed to the initial onboarding stage, so the, the KYC and the CDD process that customers have to go through to, to board that exchange can be can be very strenuous. And, we also see, uh, I'm keeping it on chargeback, we keep a, see a very low um, chargeback rate on, on crypto, which is because of the of the issues I described there. I think it's barely above 0%. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's that's you know, at least according to this study, this is where we're at. Um, 6%, maybe, maybe next year it'll be 7%. All right. Um, we, on the next question we asked it was also interesting. Um, we, we were personally really happy about this answer because um, we've long believed that the number one obstacle that merchants face is understanding the source of their chargebacks. So it's great that this number, um, that the, in this study, the number one challenge was identifying friendly fraud. We we think that's sort of the same thing. Um, we think that the merchants are kind of catching on to to what you know what, what we've been talking about. Um, so I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but um, Sean, you know, these numbers, do they line up with um, what you hear from your customers at WorldPay? Yeah, definitely they do. Um, I mean, identifying friendly fraud has, has been a problem for for some time for our merchants now, but what really interests me is the disputing chargebacks and almost one in three merchants that, that do see that as a bit of a challenge. Um, I imagine a lot of it actually stems from perhaps merchants don't know what to send as part of a defense, so which documents they need to provide to their acquirer to, to defend them. I mean, my advice to the merchants would be that they, they make it as easy as possible for the issuer to understand the documentation and why, the, why they're actually looking to defend it. Um, because the more detail and clarity that's provided, the better chance we have in the issuer actually pushing it back to the cardholder. Um, so, I mean, we have we have bits of advice and obviously we talk to our merchants and we, we tell them what they can do to, to best present their prep, uh, their defense. So, I mean, some of the issues we see is um, sending too many pages with information which is not really relevant to the case. I think it's important that only the pertinent information is included in the defense. We often see terms and conditions are being included when not really required. I mean, terms and conditions would only really be required for cases such as cancellations for example um, and by using a template for responses we do see this more and more now it makes it actually easier for the chargeback teams here at the acquirer but also the issuer to locate the pertinent information um, and again something else that we've started to see now from from some of our merchants is providing a summary so a summary at the start of the defense makes it easier for the issuer to interpret the documentation 
and therefore the, the reason for the defence. So um, we know merchants have these uh, challenges with disputing chargebacks and we do like to give them these bits of advice to, to make sure it no longer becomes a challenge for them. Yeah, I think those are all really good advice, um, really good bits of advice there. I mean, the, the only additional bit of advice I might add to that is that if you're if you're having issues with um, your chargeback disputes, you can always contact Chargebacks 911 or, um, you know, uh, on board with WorldPay and then, um, you know, have access to some of the exciting uh, chargeback solution products that, they, that they're uh, rolling out. Okay, so, um, excuse me, I, there was a little bit of a script. Um, so now I just want to drill down a little further into why identifying friendly fraud is so difficult. Um, and I'm going to assume that everybody on this call understands what uh, chargeback reason code is, so I'm not even going to address that. Um, but the, the reason codes are the tool that most merchants use to understand why a chargeback was filed, and uh, for good reason. I'm, you know, it seems seems pretty obvious. Um, so I just put up uh, Visa's reason codes on the the screen. And um, for the most part, the chargebacks that we're talking about today are gonna be either in the fraud or the consumer dispute categories. And in a perfect world, reason codes would allow you to segment chargebacks into different buckets and address each chargeback appropriately. So uh, for example, you could enact pre-transaction pre filters or manual review rules to address criminal fraud. Um, you could then audit internal processes to rectify merchant errors. And finally, you could dispute all instances of friendly fraud. And that would be essentially, I mean, that's what a comprehensive chargeback solution is. I mean, that's that's exactly how you do it. Um, but as it turns out, reason codes are not a very good indicator of the source of a chargeback. And what merchants are faced with is a little bit more like this, whether they know it or not. And dangerously, if they don't know it, then it, then it can be, you know, um, it, it can be, you know, cause a lot of issues um, when they're trying to resolve the chargeback problem, um, because as a result, merchants end up using the wrong solution to address their chargebacks. Some chargebacks are disputed that shouldn't be, some that shouldn't be disputed that should be disputed aren't, and uh, merchants end up trying to fix, for example, operational issues with stricter fraud filters or vice versa. Um, in fact. Helping to untangle this mess is a large part of what we do for our clients. Um, so I'm happy to see that more merchants are focused on the importance of understanding the source of chargebacks before they applying the fix. Because I, I, I agree, I think that if in chargeback management, the most difficult thing is understanding which chargebacks are actually friendly fraud. Um, we also ask merchants to estimate what percent of their chargebacks come from criminal fraud versus friendly fraud. Um, with this, we had answers all over the map, but the above slide shows the average for those that answered and indicates what um, merchants are uh, indicates that merchants are identifying friendly fraud to be a larger culprit than criminal fraud on balance. Um, certainly, you know, some merchants have a cr criminal fraud liability that um, is is you know rightfully their primary concern. Um, we asked a similar question, a study that we just published last year and got a different answer. So, um, you know, now that we have these two data points, it will be interesting to see if this is a trend or just kind of an anomaly. Um, but I personally expect this trend to continue. And I'm gonna go through real quick, I'm gonna kind of go through my, my reasoning why I think that is. Um, <clears throat> something that we talk a lot about is how the instances of friendly fraud have increased over the past few years. Um, this, I believe, is because more and more consumers are becoming familiar and comfortable with the chargeback process. Um, but we, but we wondered, were merchants noticing this increase? And at least uh, the merchants that we polled had uh, more than half of the reported, more than half reported noticeable increase in chargebacks over the last three years, with only 17% indicating the opposite. 
Um, Sean, I, you know, was is is this what you guys were seeing at WorldPay? Uh, it is, yeah. Um, I think we've been seeing the rise in, in friendly fraud for, for quite some time. And there's, there are some reasons of, of obviously why we see that. I go back to what, what you just mentioned there. More consumers are becoming familiar and comfortable with the chargeback process. And, you know, there's banking apps now where you can dispute, where you can dispute transactions at the, at the click of a button. Um, so it's becoming easier for these types of uh, these chargebacks to come through. So, yeah, it, it's definitely what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and then, and then probably more alarming, you know, of the ones that had reported an increase, we asked the merchants um, if they could estimate, um, you know, how much that increase has been. And uh, nearly half of those respondents reported an increase of more than 30% in just three years, which, um, you know, that's a significant number. And certainly while not all of the merchants we polled had such a dire impression, um, enough did for us to consider it noteworthy. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a very interesting stat and I think it's important that, um, you know, merchants pay attention to this. Okay, um, so now I'm bringing this slide back up um, just because the next few slides are gonna drill down into this 71% uh, a little bit more. Um, and uh, of the 71% of participants that dispute at least some of their chargebacks, um, they seem to be evenly divided with uh, just under half disputing a minority of their chargebacks and just over half disputing the majority of their chargebacks. Um, we would expect the... Um, We would expect the yellow number to be a, a little bit higher. I'm actually surprised that the 85 to 100% is the highest. Um, but I, but again, I think that's because um, we have a lot of forward-leaning uh, uh, merchants that participated in this study. Um, and then, Sh Sean, you had you had something. Um, you 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 were a little bit surprised by this. I was, yes. Um, and similar to what you just said, then we wouldn't expect the 85% to 100% barrier to be anywhere near. 37%. I think if we were to look at the number of defenses by merchants across our book, I think the majority would fit in the 25% to 54%. I think we normally work off a merchant defending sort of 30% or to 40% of their, their chargeback. So we would almost see, expect to see a very high bracket in there, but it can depend on the kind of industry that you're in, right? So you look at companies like airlines or travel who have a higher ticket value, they're going to want to defend far more of their chargebacks. So you may see some of them creeping up into the 55 to 84 or maybe even an odd few going into 85 to 100%. And then on the flip side of that, you've got your merchants such as digital content merchants. So some of their ticket values are so low that they probably don't see the, um, the benefit in defending all their chargebacks. So they would see a lot of... Um, the 25% to 54% within digital content. So, yeah, I think if we're going to look across the whole of the World Pay book and, and pick up an average, I think the majority would be certainly in the 25% to 54%. Yeah, I, th I think that makes sense too. I think I think for the average merchant, that would be probably the, the, the sweet spot, um, uh, assuming that you have a risk profile that's fairly diverse. So if, if you have some criminal fraud liability, um, you know, I think I think that the high number here is probably because uh, you know the, there's a subset of merchants that really just don't have a, you know as much liability. They have a very simple model, so there's there's you know very um, there's not a lot of room for errors. So you know shipping is fine. You know they're they're not um, there's not a lot of unforced errors, and then just 
by the nature of their business, they don't really have a criminal fraud liability that a lot of other merchants would have. Um, that would be the instance I would imagine that that they would be disputing so many chargebacks. So I, I think that, you know, maybe this study, when we talk about high risk merchants, I think that those kind of fall in that category um, in the 85 to 100. So, um, but it's interesting. Okay. And then um, we, we asked what percent of the uh, disputed chargebacks did you win? And again, we kind of had everything all the way across the board here. Um, and um, the two most common answers were less than 10% and more than 85% with the other half being kind of in the middle, um, which is also kind of interesting. Um, and this stat is what we, we call the gross win rate. Um, and for companies who are winning the majority of their chargebacks that they dispute, it's very tempting to highlight this stat because, um, you know, it's usually the, the best stat that you have, but it, it tends to be very misleading. Um, when we're evaluating a chargeback management strategy, we like to look instead at the net win rate um, because that stat tells us a better story about, um, you know, the health of the, the chargeback management program within a company. So so let me let me kind of walk you through what I mean. So So in this slide, um, I, there's an example company and they're winning 60% of the chargebacks that they dispute. So that's sort of their gross win rate. Um, and it looks pretty good. It's 60% is, is a great win rate. Um, you can put it on charts and put it in reports and, um, you know, everybody can get real excited about the great job you're doing. Um, but let's say because they can't differentiate between chargeback sources, they're only disputing, um, you know, half of um, the, uh, the customer dispute reason codes. They're only disputing half of the chargebacks. And then um, because some were maybe improperly disputed, um, they end up turning into second chargebacks. Um, now we're in a situation where a 60% gross win rate is really over only, over, only overturning 20% of chargebacks. And this is a number, this is the important number and the number that, that, that merchants should be using as a metric, but, but almost always, it, uh, it, it is not the number that, that merchants are looking at. So I don't know how, how you guys are doing reporting, the people in um, the webinar today, but, but I encourage you to make sure that you're calculating your net win rate when you wanna understand um, the effectiveness of um, your strategy. Okay. And then um, out of the 71% of merchants that disputed chargebacks, 82% of them said they did so in-house. Um, but we compared the net win rates for the 18% of merchants using third parties, and those merchants reported a 20% higher net win rate um, than those that were managing um, in-house. And honestly, with this, I'm not surprised. I think the average increase in net win rate for our clients is even higher. Um, but, but like I said, we, we actually made an effort not to pull um, our clients directly. So um, of those 18%, probably only half are our clients. And um, I, I thought we would just uh, ask one more audience question that we wanted to ask before proceeding to the next part. So um, DJ, if you're around, um, if you want to kind of do that second question. Absolutely. Uh, I've thrown that up there. The question is, which of the following chargeback reduction tools do you utilize? Chargeback alerts, uh, Visa merchant purchase inquiry, the VMPI, or non-flash, I don't know. So. Uh, we're giving folks a, a second to look at this. Um, and uh, I will close that out and throw the results out. And it looks like uh, half and half between alerts and none or I don't know. Okay, so so yeah, that's super interesting because that actually lines up, I think, pretty well with, with what we were um, 
you know the stats that we saw. I think uh, I think fewer fewer were were using alerts in the sample that we used, um, but um, the the similarity exists in the VMPI, um, and um, um, that's the thing that kind of surprises me the most, um, just because I you know VMPI has such a lot of obvious value. Um, just so everyone's on the same page, I want to make sure that we discuss um, what these two different programs are, because honestly, at the very least, in our opinion, if you're using chargeback alerts to reduce chargebacks, um, you should probably get set up with VMPI. And I'm going to go through this a little bit real quick. I won't take too much time, but I just want to make sure that everyone's kind of aware of what uh, options are available. Um, <clears throat> so just for those that don't know, I'm going to give a real high uh, level view here. Um, chargeback alerts, they utilize a network that is connected to your customer's issuing bank. And when one of your customers tries to initiate a chargeback, the issuing bank will send a request through that network rather than through the schemes, um, um, you know, notifying you of the chargeback. And as long as you refund the, the merchant, you can avoid the traditional chargeback channel. You could uh, reduce uh, the number of chargebacks that you receive. Um, and essentially, this connection allows you to avoid certain chargebacks by issuing a refund. And uh, alerts are great for merchants that are in the danger zone, approaching or exceeding chargeback thresholds, but there's costs associated with them. Um, and in some ways, they are more expensive than the problem that they're trying to solve. So if you aren't worried about breaching thresholds, alerts probably aren't the right solution for your business. Um, but that's why VMPI is so exciting because uh, VMPI, just so people know, stands for Visa Merchant Purchase Inquiry, and it can be used either to augment alerts, where it essentially uses the same logic, choosing to automatically refund in order to avoid a chargeback, or merchants can choose to reply with additional information about the transaction instead. Um, we've had a lot of success helping merchants avoid illegitimate, trans illegitimate transaction not recognized type of chargebacks. Um, so VMPI is a really powerful, powerful prevention tool, and I expect or hope um, that next year when we ask this question, more merchants will be utilizing it. So if, if you're not super familiar with VMPI, if you want to um, reach out to me, um, if you took down my email address, I'll uh, make sure I introduce you to somebody that can get you set up because um, we're real excited about it and, and we've seen some, um, some really great results. Okay, and then the last question in this area, we also asked, um, because we're always kind of curious, we know what our internal stats say, but we just ask um, um, if um, the, of the merchants that were using chargeback alerts, what they estimated the uh, reduction in chargebacks were. And this, this stat was kind of all over the place, but um, if, if you average it out um, from all those that responded, we, we came to an average of 19%, which I think is, I think is reasonable. I think 19%, uh, that, that, that's a positive return on um, you know, um, chargeback alerts. So in this last section, I'm going to talk a little bit about how merchants are viewing some of the recent changes in the industry, specifically Visa Claims Resolution and MasterCard Dispute Resolution Initiative. Um, both of them came out, I believe, last year, maybe 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 a little bit longer, but um, they, they've been kind of rolling out for the last couple of years. Um, the first thing that we wanted to try to understand is how many participants even heard about these two initiatives. And it was clear to us that merchants were much more aware of the uh, VCR than they were of uh, MDRI. Um, I think, Sean, you, you had some ideas about why that might be? Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, when we're talking about the changes that VCR and MDRI brought about, the changes on MDRI were, were much smaller for the, for the merchants. So, I mean, we communicated VCR more frequently uh, than we did MDRI. And reasons being with VCR, there was changes to um, timescales to defend, there was changes, changes to reason codes, 
and we just wanted to make sure that merchants were aware of them as to when they were seeing chargebacks on these new reason codes they knew that it was a result of of vcr so i mean mastercard had also made a number of changes over the past two years in preparation for mdri so when it did actually go live it wasn't as big a bang as, as vcr was um, and the mcm changes primarily impacted issuers and acquirers internally um, so i mean we had to make a number of system processes changes that of course didn't affect the um the merchants so much um, but the timeframes and the defense process for, for, for MDRI pretty much remains unchanged from a merchant's perspective. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was a little bit surprised by that uh, too, and I think it reflects in the, the next, um, next slide is that uh, well over three quarters of respondents believe VCR um, and, and MDRI had uh, little or no impact on chargeback management. And I, I think you were saying that um, that was probably due to the fact that most of the work was, was on the acquirer side. Um, that you guys had to do a lot of stuff. You guys were acutely aware of it, but but really at the end of the day, not a lot changed um, for for the average merchant. Is that am I reading that right? Is that is that probably why that stat is what it is? It, it is it is correct. Yes, yes. So I mean, I mentioned about the uh, with Visa, the reason codes were changed, but it doesn't. The, the reason could they still had the you know the description of why the chargeback had been raised. So there were more changes that the customer needed to be aware of in relation to VCR, but it wasn't whole changes in, in how they actually defended their, their chargebacks. Yeah, so so that's interesting. Um, and as far as chargeback reduction, um, one of uh, the key reasons for the change, um, only 19% of respondents who knew about VCR claimed to notice a reduction in chargebacks. Um, now this number could be because uh, merchants didn't notice a decrease or didn't associate the de decrease to VCR. Um, Sean, so I'm I'm super curious. It, you know, it, did WorldPay see anything different? I, I feel like you guys have a little bit more of an unbiased um, um, view into this. Um, um, you know, did did you see uh, reduction in chargebacks after VCR kind of across all merchants? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I actually had a really interesting conversation with one of our other chargeback guys yesterday, and prior to VCR, sort of in March of 2018, um, we actually seen a, a slight rise in, in chargebacks and we feel that was down to issuers trying to sort of clear the deck, so to speak, in, in preparation for VCR in April. And then when VCR kicked in, we did actually see a huge reduction in chargebacks. But I mean, due to dialogue that we had with both Visa and issuers and, and other people in the industry, um, it was established that this was due to issuers struggling with the VCR changes initially. Um, but as issuers began to come to terms with all the changes that had been made, the chargeback volume steadily started to rise in May, uh, and then we actually seen them return to expected volume then by sort of late June and early July. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that we noticed too. There was a little bit like a hiccup there. Um, okay, well, so so this is sort of the end the end of the prepared slides. I think we're we're coming on. I, I think we had a pretty hard stop at a, a quarter till. Um, so, so instead of, you know, I think we're just going to take the questions offline if that's okay, DJ. Um, but let me, let me go back cause we talked about kind of a lot of stuff here. Um, and I should have put this slide at the end as well. It would be smoother if I did, but, um, I just want to put the slide with, um, our contact information. So if anybody has any additional questions, if we didn't cover something, if we said something that was completely wrong and you want to have a conversation about it, or if you have any questions about, you know, the great things that WorldPay is doing, the partnership between WorldPay and Chargebacks 911, um, VMPI, uh, you know, um, you know, Chargeback uh, Management Solution. Uh, please reach out to to either myself or Sean, and uh, we'll we'll be happy to to you know 
help you if we can, or uh, certainly introduce you to someone who can if we can't. Um, so that, that's about it. DJ, did you have um, like kind of a closing statement or anything you want to interject? Yeah, yeah. No, I just wanted to thank you both, Jared and Sean. I appreciate that. We, uh, everybody that I talk to is always very interested in sort of real world numbers and you, you, uh, you know, they're very interested in kind of what uh, other people are experiencing. So uh, we're very happy to hear some of that and uh, your ability to put some color around that. We really appreciate it. Uh, I did want to mention that uh, this has been recorded. The entire presentation has re been recorded. So if you want to, uh, access to any of the slides or anything like that, when it goes up on cardmappresent.com, we will uh, send out a link to all of the people who registered so that they can go back and take a look. We did get a few questions in. We're sorry we can't get to them. Uh, but as Jared mentioned, uh, if you asked a question, uh, either he or Sean or somebody that uh, that knows the answer will get back to you personally on that. So I want to thank them, and I want to thank the audience for hanging in uh, until this point, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you.